0: Brilliant. Let's pray together. Father, it's so exciting to be able to sing that all of your promises come true in the Lord Jesus, who you sent for us to die for us, to live uh, perfectly, to be our perfect Messiah, our chosen one, so that we would be rescued and know your love now and forever. Thank you that we can sing these things because they're all true. You've done it. You've done it through the Lord Jesus, by the power of your Spirit, And you change lives today because of this. Thank you that we can sing it as we have been. Behold the power of your word. Amen. Amen. It's exciting to continue our journey in the Gospel of Luke. We will see how far we get tonight. But we are in chapter 2. And we're going to be talking about two special people, Simeon and Anna. And as we get to them, let me ask you this question. Do you behave differently depending on who you are next to? I wonder if that rings a bell with you in any way, okay? Um, was, that, was that an arm raised or was that an itch? I think that was an itch. Um, I think that's true, but not in the way that you think, not just in the bad sense of, oh, you know, you two-faced snake. I'm not calling you that, but I'm just saying that sometimes we can behave differently for other people's good. Okay, let me give you an example, right? I drive one way when I'm alone in the car. I don't think it's in a way that's illegal or, you know, although maybe, I don't know, I'll leave it to you. Pray for me. But if I know I have a learner driver in the passenger seat and they're observing what I'm doing, here's what I'm not going to do, okay? No more of this stuff. Hand over hand. when you, No. What am I going to do? Feeding. Like this. Like a fool because no one does this. No one does this. Only the highway code wants us to do this, right? Anyway, don't be a fool. Be a fool if someone is watching. You know what I mean. If I'm reversing, here's what I'm not doing, right? Because you fail. I don't want to be a bad example. You know, if you're reversing, it's mirror, 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 okay? Confidence, right? And if you're posh, you've got sensors in your car. Now, do you need to be doing all this stuff if you have a learner driving next to you? Well, no, I have a license. No police officer is going to stop me and say, excuse me, sir, I need to fine you, or this is a warning, or whatever you do in the UK, because you've not been feeding from hente. They're not going to do that. But I would do it, something I don't have to do, as an example for someone else. What astounds me is, when we read the first few verses in our passage in Luke chapter 2 here, in our section, Jesus is presented to God, and he does lots of stuff like being circumcised, right, or he allows himself as a baby um, for that to happen, Does he need to do that. He didn't even need to become a man, and yet he chooses to because he wants to speak to us through it. He didn't have to follow the law of Moses. He didn't have to ha- get baptized as a grown-up, and yet, because he never sinned, all of it amounted to this message that he is our perfect Messiah. There's no two ways about it. He's a full-blown Israelite in every sense that the law of God demanded so that he can be our perfect savior. So we're gonna talk about it. We're gonna read the passage again in a moment, um, bit by bit, but I haven't turned it on, there we go. But we're gonna talk about how Jesus was presented, how Jesus was promised, and how Jesus is, in our passage, prophesied. It affects us today as believers. So look at your Bible again in Luke chapter 2, verse 21, and just glance at it with me. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus. You go down to verse 22. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And when we ask the question, did Jesus need to be doing all this stuff? Well, yes and no. Yes, because circumcision was a sign, of allegiance to God, of saying, I belong to the people that call upon your name. I belong to the Israelites. I'm in this covenant with you, God. Therefore, I will do this. I will obey. It would have been disobedient of Joseph and Mary not to have arranged for that to happen to Jesus. But at the same time, Jesus is God. He already belongs to God. He has the highest allegiance because he is God. And yet he chooses to undergo that so that we can see what we must be like if we want to follow him. I'm not saying he to be circumcised, but to pledge allegiance to God. Did Jesus need to be presented in the temple? If you see in your Bible, there's a little quote back from the book of Exodus where God says in Exodus 34, the first offspring of every womb belongs to me. And he says, redeem all your firstborn sons. So, Another sign of obedience. But the more we read this with our ancient Israelite hats, we're going, man, there's nothing that this Jesus, who is supposed to be the perfect Israelite, there's nothing he missed. He is really, as he is presented to God, the perfect Messiah. He's not just incarnate and becoming human, but he needs to become like the very people he comes to save. That's why... I tell you, read the Church Fathers. The Church Fathers, clever people from the beginning of the um, history of the Church after the Apostles, who put things in really concise but helpful ways. And one thing that the Church Fathers said was this, whatever Jesus assumed, he redeemed. That's another way of saying, if Jesus is going to rescue us, then he's got to be just like the people he is dying for, so that he can say, I died for you and nothing is missing. In other words, Jesus came as a human because he was rescuing humans. He came to be the perfect Israelite because their job was to showcase God to the world. And Jesus comes to do that perfectly for all of us. And so you see that theme repeated. He is the perfect Messiah because look at verse 22. What is done about him? Everything required by the law of Moses. You look at the next verse down. What is done? As it is written in the law of Moses. In verse 24, everything that is done is in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord. This is a perfect Messiah. No Israelite reading the Bible today would say, hey, there's something missing about Jesus. We would have no excuse. But also, not only is is he our perfect Messiah as he's presented to God, but he is our perfect example. Everything that Jesus does here or that God allows for Jesus to be brought and to be done to Him here, shows us what kind of people Jesus came to save. It was new to me the first time I uh, looked at Leviticus chapter 12 and how after childbirth you come and offer a purification offering in the temple of God or in the tabernacle of God at the time, um, and Mary's coming to do that in obedience to God. But you know, it says in Leviticus 12 verse 8, that instead of a lamb, because she offers doves or pigeons, that shows she's poor. Like how could God allow the very family he's born in to be poor? Well, because he wants to show that he is not beneath or beyond saving, rescuing anybody, because that's where Jesus is already. And so he is presented because he wants to be our Savior for everybody, but our example. He calls his disciples to be the same way. So if you are his child, his son or his daughter this evening, when you read about Jesus humbling himself, you go, yeah, he's also called me to dedicate, to be presented as my whole life to God as I carry my cross because we are a present to the Father. But you know that we don't fulfill the law of Moses You've not been reading Leviticus for what you should eat or how you should dress, but we do fulfill this law. Listen to this uh, call back from our Galatians series, chapter 5. The entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. So think about this, right? You're taking notes and you're thinking, what should I do afterwards over a cup of tea with the person sitting next to me? Do this. Talk about the questions that we're going to put on there. Why did Jesus obey the law if he was already God? Can you remember what I said? Go through that. How will we present our lives to God if you want to be just like Jesus because we belong to him? What things must we do for the sake of showing God to others that actually we're not really, we don't need to do them if we choose not to? Jesus didn't have to fulfill the law, didn't have to become a man, and yet so that we might be rescued, he did that. So Jesus was presented to God because he's our perfect Messiah. He's our perfect example. Let's talk about the second one. Jesus was promised. I'm glad that I think after a few weeks have passed uh, of the whole Christmas crazy season, you know, I don't like waiting for stuff. I don't like waiting for what Megan's gonna cook, Megan, my wife, because she always cooks something amazing, but i got to wait until the day, you know, she's going to cook a wellington or a roulade or some other thing like that. If you don't know what these things are, Google them, and we will invite you for dinner sometime. But I don't like waiting for any of these things. And waiting is definitely one of the themes in our passage here. It's really hard because as we wait, our expectations change. I find this. When I was waiting for Christmas to come... I don't know about you but I'm going putting all of these hopes when I get to Christmas all my stress will be over everything will be okay all my rest will be sufficient and I'm now on the other side I'm like did I rest did we when was this you know and our expectations can change as we wait how would your expectations change if you're waiting for a delivery a baby a promotion someone to fall in love with would your day-to-day thought process change because i'm i'm looking here at a couple people who they waited their entire lives for something like anna is old some of you are like i know i know what it is to be old you know some of you do and you don't have to be ashamed because it's a crown of wisdom and we'll talk about that in a moment but They wait an entire life with unwavering confidence that God will fulfill His promise. Jesus had been promised to Israel, and we talked about that last week when we uh, talked about how the kind of king Jesus needed to be, uh, when we read 2 Samuel chapter 7 and Micah chapter 5. So you can watch that one if you want to know how Jesus had been promised to Israel. But Jesus had been promised to this guy here, Simeon. Look at verse 26 again. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And this dude was waiting faithfully all of his life. And he probably was old because when he gets to see Jesus, he goes, I'm ready to die now. He was waiting because that would comfort his heart and anybody else in Israel who saw Jesus and believed. He could do this because God the Holy Spirit helped him to do it. Look at that in verse 25. The Holy Spirit was on him. Next verse down, see a pattern again. It was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. God's helping him do do this stuff. Verse 27, he is even moved by the Spirit to do something, to go to the temple, to see Jesus. And what I love about this is, this dude isn't a priest. He isn't somebody important. One of the very first few people who can look at Jesus and go, he is the Messiah, is this this nobody. that You and I wouldn't even know about him other than this. What I love about this is, it's the value of just ordinary obedience. I wonder what was going through Simeon's mind because he says he's waiting for the comfort of Israel when he holds Jesus he's headed so he's ready to die let me ask you this did anything at all outside that temple that day change about Simeon's life he was still an Israelite enslaved to the Romans his king King Herod isn't even a king proper king doesn't even believe in God in the right way anyway None of that stuff that was going on in Simeon's life changed. Here's what changed. He was holding Jesus. He had Jesus. Because he had Jesus, he's ready to die. do you love that? It's like you and I today, if we have Jesus, we have everything that we need. And so let me ask you this, as you're discussing later on. God did in Simeon's life lots of things that helped him to trust in God's faithfulness. What does God do today that helps us to, like Simeon, keep trusting? Because yes, Jesus has come. Now we're waiting for him to come again. What does God do today that helps us keep trusting? Is it that time that Jesus answers a prayer and you go, that gives me strength to reframe my life and go, do you know what, I can carry on being faithful to Him. You sing a worship song and the Holy Spirit comforts your heart and tells you, yeah, this stuff is true, carry on. Or you fall ill, you get anxious, you get stressed, and you pray to know His peace, and He gives you His peace, and you go, yes, this stuff is true. Has God done something this week if you belong to Him, if you're His son or His daughter, so that like Simeon, you can go, I also am waiting. Not for the consolation of Israel, He has come, but for His return, for His kingdom. Another question for you. I told you that Jesus was enough for Simeon. He's enough for Anna. Is Jesus enough for you? Is that what is shown in your life throughout the week? And if not... Ask someone that you trust or love and say, what is it that you think maybe I'm not seeing about Jesus that I feel I need to pursue? All these other things here that John was praying about just now, God would help us to not put our hope in, but only in him. So Jesus had been promised, and you can think about these questions later on, to Israel, to Simeon, to the Gentiles. Again, we're not going to talk too much about this. But it just shows here how wide God's target is. He says in verse 31, what? In the sight of all the nations. Which, mind, it's controversial because that comes before the name of Israel. And any Jew reading this at the time would have been outraged, right? And the same is true today. I firmly believe and tell you, any of your friends, any of your neighbors, any of our extended family if they sincerely and honestly take a good, long, hard look at Jesus and what He says, there's no other way to look at Him than to go, man, He is light. He gives me light to see my sin, to see my need for forgiveness, to see the new life that He gives. If that's our confidence, let's pray like that. But Jesus had been promised to Anna. And I just want to pause now and ask you just a personal question. You feel free to look around to identify some faces so that you can think of that, how you answer that question. What do you think about old people? What do you think about old people? I mean, here's my, let me tell you about my experience a little bit, okay? And I hope you will not I will not be unemployed yesterday, tomorrow. I go to a toddler group, and from my experience of years back, you know, different churches, I go to a toddler group, and it might be weird I, a childless guy, I'm just there, I've got, I haven't got a kid with me, you know, and I'm talking to different parents, and I'm talking to some moms or some dads. Dads are easier, moms sometimes, depends how young they are, you know, it's a bit, it's a bit awkward maybe. Especially if while we're talking, sort of, you know, they start breastfeeding and I'm like, where do I look? What's what's going on? Okay. And it's a bit awkward, maybe. You talk to a grandparent. Oh, so easy. You know, they are secure in their life. They've lived their whole life. They have their identity. It's easy to talk to them. And then you begin to notice things. Okay. Which is the difference between someone who's lived their whole life one way or another way. I remember going to a group that was for those who were over 70. said over 50, but they're almost over 70 that came. And there was a clear difference to me between the grumpy old moaners, okay, and the people who had a gray-haired crown of wisdom and lived their life, no regrets, for God. The people who had, interestingly enough, suffered much and had a lot of wisdom, and the people who hadn't suffered in the same way, and yet were really grumpy. What kind of an old woman is Anna? I tell you, she is an impressive old woman in an age of men. Simeon's not a prophet. She's a prophet. One of the very few in the New Testament, may I tell you, is she greater than Simeon in many of our eyes? She shows us that Jesus is a Savior for men and for women in an age of men. Well, she probably didn't have many rights. And Luke's going to do this as we go through the book of Luke. You might see that Luke pairs up men and women in parables and stories and narratives so that we know this God-man is for everybody. You have the good shepherd, you know, with the lost sheep. But then what is that followed by? A woman losing a lost coin. You've got something like a farmer planting a mustard seed, followed by a woman who needs yeast into her dough. Men, women, Jesus, for all, for all in a culture that looked down on women. I love that. This is who Jesus came to rescue. And so these two people are essentially telling us what Deuteronomy chapter 19, 15 says, when it says, hey, here's how you can trust a witness. Two or more people. And here we've got, not just two people, two ordinary people who are worth nothing in the eyes of many, but in the eyes of God, a man and a woman. And she is waiting here in verse 38 for the redemption of Jerusalem. And we can go away thinking, we can trust this God who is for me, wherever I'm at in life. Because if you think about it, Anna had a lot of reasons to be mad at God. She was a widow from a very kind of young age in her marriage. And so today, it's bad enough if, you don't, if you're not in a love relationship because you're a bit of a substandard citizen. Like, if you're, not, if you're not having sex, then you are sort of a substandard teenager, adult, and you get the impression from, like, TV, shows, movies, and all that stuff. But it was even worse then, because it's not just that. It's the fact that it's the man who looks after you, provides for you, takes care of you, fights for you, and yet Anna doesn't have a husband to cling to. Instead, verse 37, she never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. No need to cling to a husband here. She clings to God. She is complete without. And so think about this for a second. For you to think later on, right? Old age and widowhood would have made it harder for any woman like Anna to trust God's promises. What is it today that makes it harder for us to trust God? Maybe what cultural messages? For Anna, it would have been, mate, listen, you haven't got a husband. You haven't got anybody to look after you. Where is God now? What are some cultural messages today that would tempt us away from trusting God? Think about that. Anna was prepared to meet the redemption of Jerusalem because she was at the temple. Fasting, praying, worshipping. What do we do so that we are prepared to follow God each day, each day in and day out? A question for you to think about and talk later on as we come to our final heading then. So Jesus was presented to God. There are challenges for us. Promised. But there's a prophecy right here, verses 34 and 35. There's a warning. I wonder what your experience is when you tell people like deep and personal things about yourself. Okay? When people find how weird I am, Sometimes, it's interesting to see the reactions. Like, this time last year, I mean, this, this week I'm going to a conference that when I went there last year, I'm there having my breakfast and with some strangers, other youth workers, these are Christians, other youth workers from different parts of the country uh, and some come from Hungary sometimes. And I'm having my breakfast and I'm having my pastry and someone looks at me and they just go, you did what, mate? I said, I said, I just dip my pastry in my coffee. And they were so appalled. They, they were revolted by that, okay? It's interesting, another person just laughed and wanted to have a go as well. But there we are, another person, in order to respond with equal revulsion, put their finger in my coffee so that I wouldn't drink it, which I didn't. When people know more about you, they have an opportunity to respond To who you are right now here's the thing that changes when you are a christian when you are a son or a daughter of the king it's not just when people know more about you when they know more about the god that you serve often their response to you changes sometimes in a really scary way right i've met people that i'm having an awesome fantastic conversation and then they ask me what i do for a living and i say i'm a christian or you believe the bible then Like, the face completely changes. We're going to see it's because of the way in which Jesus is prophesied here as Simeon speaks. Look at those verses again. He says to Mary, Mary, listen, it's going to get tough. A sword's going to pierce your heart. And then notice this. As the child grows, he's going to do this. See if you can follow me as you look at the passage. He's going to knock people down because he's destined to cause the falling of many. So some people are not going to believe anymore. He's going to raise people up. He's destined to cause the rising of many. So Some people will go, man, this God is amazing. And they believe. This Jesus is going to be spoken against and antagonized and contradicted. A sign that will be spoken against is what it says there. And connected with that, the thoughts of many hearts are going to be revealed when they come into contact with Jesus. I find it amazing that Jesus actually did this in such surprising ways when he was walking this earth. He meets a rich young ruler, and the guy says, what do I do to receive eternal life? And Jesus just, he doesn't mess around. He just goes, let me peel off your heart a little bit. Hey, you love money. Give it up. It's like, wow, Jesus, you just revealed this guy's heart, and it was ugly. And as I read the Bible, he does the same thing today. I think I'm great and fantastic and an awesome husband. And I read what Jesus is like. Love your wives as Christ loves the church. Gave himself up for her. And I'm like, wow. (laughs) Like I'm nothing. I need him. He meets a Samaritan woman and she says, I have no husband. And he goes, you are right. And let me tell you something else. You need to worship me, and the time is now. He meets Pharisees. And they say, don't do stuff on the Sabbath, Jesus. That's bad news. And he says, I'm God. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Even you guys break this. If any of you has a sheep, will you let it loose in the morning when you go out the house, don't you? Verse 14 of Matthew chapter 12. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. I'm like, dude, man. And some people get angry because of a Christian's association with their Jesus. So we shouldn't be surprised because he is destined to cause the falling of many, the rising of many, a sign that will be spoken against. And so some of the people that engage with Jesus, it will evoke in them a feeling of outrage and of anger and frustration that's why Jesus says later in Luke, Luke chapter 12, do you think that I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. There will be divided father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. If you attach yourself to Jesus, first when you encounter him, he's going to peel off your heart and show you what's really in there and your need for him. If you're already his son or daughter, every time you open the Bible, he's doing that. And if you're not opening the Bible, you're not letting him speak. So a couple questions for us to finish off with. This Jesus was prophesied that he, was, he would do all of these things, still does it today. If we associate with Jesus, is there anything about the way that you live as a Christian that kind of peels off people's hearts a little bit? And they either go, tell me more, or they really don't like it. What do we do that causes that reaction? Maybe it is when we're talking about how we're made in the image of God with a very specific purpose, so you can't make it up. That our lives have significance. That we should live in a very specific way because it pleases God. That if we live another way, we're going to self-destruction. Absolutely, we can see that that unveils people's hearts and we don't like it. Or we like it and we go, yes, I'm sorry, Jesus, heal me. And the final question, if we belong to Jesus, when people don't like something that you repeat from Jesus, who's it really against that they feel that anger perhaps, that disappointment, when you're behaving like your Savior would want you to? I tend to take take things very personally a lot of the time. But actually, I've learned to train myself. There are certain reactions to when we tell people of the love of God, of His forgiveness, they have nothing to do with me, but they have to do with your response, with their response to Jesus Himself in me. So as we finish this evening, Simeon and Anna, we see that Jesus is presented to God and He's our perfect Messiah. He's our perfect example. So how will we live for Him if we belong to Him? Jesus was promised to Simeon and Anna. He was enough for them. Even though he didn't change their circumstances, they had him, they had everything. This Jesus who was prophesied was going to cause lots of reactions in people. But it's all pointed at him and not us. Where are you at this evening when I say these things? I wonder. Maybe God is prodding you and poking you and going, hey, let me speak more. Stop, run, stop running away from me. Come to home group. Open your Bible. Open your Bible with someone else. Speak to the pastor. Speak to the elders. Speak to someone that you trust as a Christian and say, I need to pray with you together to be encouraged in my walk with God. Is that where God is prodding? Is God prodding maybe in the fact that the response of your heart as someone who doesn't believe yet needs to change and you need to come to Him and say, Sorry? I wonder where you're at. I would love to hear it if you feel able to come and chat to me, to Andy, to Dickie, to one of us, one of our youth leaders, if you're a young person. I want to pray for you because I think that we can have the same joy as Simeon and Anna because if we have Jesus, we really do have everything. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you that all of these promises that we have seen were fulfilled. You fulfilled the law Perfectly. There's nothing about the way that we look at you that is left to be desired. You are the perfect man who died for us so that we could know you, who was raised to life again so that we can have new life. I just really thank you for this passage this evening. Thank you for how you can speak to us through your word. Help us to not walk away unchanged, Holy Spirit of God. Help us to engage with you as John was just praying. As we are hungry for your word. Hungry to share it with each other as your family. Hungry to share it with those who need to become your family. Help us as in a moment we sing truths to you with joyful hearts because of all that you've done for us and in us. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Amen.